Welcome to Scuba Shack Radio, episode 14, recorded Sunday, September 8th, 2019. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Hi, everyone, and thanks for listening to Scuba Shack Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Cincerapino. Well, I'm coming to you a week earlier this time, as I needed to get the schedule adjusted for the rest of the year. When I looked at the calendar, it turns out that we have a lot going on coming here in the next few weeks in September, and then with our little Cayman trip in October, DEMA in November, and then the Philippines in December. I wanted to get on a schedule so I could get to you every couple of weeks, so we're a little bit earlier this time. Also, uh, wanted to just uh, take a moment to reflect back on the events of the past week. Uh, very sombering uh, news with the uh, dive boat accident out in California. A terrible tragedy, and our hearts go out to uh, to the whole dive community out there, and especially to the families who uh, lost loved ones. Also, uh, the devastating effects of the uh, Hurricane Dorian down in the Bahamas, uh, quite a, a, a scene of utter disaster down there. Um, it's going to take a really long time for that place to recover based on what I saw this morning on the news. So, again, our thoughts go out to uh, the Bahamas, and we're hoping uh, for a speedier recovery as, as can happen down there. So a lot of somber news in the dive community uh, and in the, in the world uh, this week. When we first started to learn to scuba dive, we learned all about the equipment that we use uh, to go diving with. And an important piece of equipment that we have is our scuba cylinder. And we're taught about the different types of scuba cylinders, the different type of valves and things like that. One of the things that we also talk about a lot is the inspections that are needed for the scuba cylinder. And there's two types of inspections that we talk about. Obviously, there's the uh, hydrostatic test, which is mandated by the United States Department of Transportation. And that's a five-year test that uh, has to be conducted on all compressed air um, cylinders. But there's also another inspection that we talk about, and that's called the visual inspection. And there's a question about, well, where did it come from, and, and is it mandatory? And the fact is that uh, the visual inspection is a scuba diving industry standard, not a, a government standard. And uh, we all adhere to that and make sure that our cylinders are, are uh, visually inspected every year. Otherwise, we don't fill the tank. So where did that really come from? And I did a little research on this and found that uh, it, it really became a standard uh, coming out of a, a study that was done uh, by a group uh, called the National Underwater Accident Data Center. And it was, it's a, uh, an organization or a, a, a facility that was started um, by a, a, man, a gentleman from the University of Rhode Island, John J. Mc, 
Aniff in 1970. And um, they commissioned a study at the University of Rhode Island for uh, inspections of, uh, of scuba cylinders. And the actual report, which you can find online, is called the um, uh, Scuba Safety Report Series Report Number 1, and it's conducted by the Department of Ocean Engineering at the University of Rhode Island, and it's on the corrosive study of steel scuba cylinders. Um, so if you read that report, it goes into uh, the, the idea around, well, why are uh, scuba cylinders different than regular compressed air cylinders? And, and essentially, it's because of the environment that the tanks are in, with the water and the salt conditions that could impact the, the cylinders. And the study uh, goes in and it talks about how they did subject some new, brand new tanks to uh, the environment, and after uh, 100 days of corrosion tests, the, the, the tanks were uh, severely corroded and probably would not have passed a, uh, a cylinder fill and could have potentially exploded. So their recommendations were that uh, scuba tanks be subjected to a yearly inspection. Now, the report also uh, talks about a program that had been implemented by the National Association of Skin Diving Stores, and that was called their VIP program, or Visual Inspection Protection Program. And it was kind of interesting because they, they talked about for $1.50, you could take your tank into any of these stores where they would actually open it up, look inside, and inspect it, and then put a sticker on it. So that's kind of originated with, uh, with the dive stores back uh, before the study and then really became something uh, of a standard after the study. Now, there's also an organization uh, that, that we at Scuba Shack uh, utilize for our uh, inspection training. That's PSI-PCI, or Professional Scuba Inspectors, or Professional Cylinder Inspectors. And um, our technicians need to be um, trained by uh, PSI-PCI and then uh, have a recurring training every three years. And a really interesting uh, uh, article in the latest Dive Newswire from 826, uh, where PSI, PCI Incorporated was warning of misleading advertising for somebody uh, trying to confuse people about their training versus PSI, PCI. And, you know, uh, these guys at PSI, PCI wrote the book on inspection, Bill High and Mark Gresham. Uh, they wrote the book, and uh, we're, we're pretty proud to be a part of, of that environment for our cylinder inspections to keep people safe. So if you're interested, you can go out there and look online at the report. It's fascinating. Uh, they recommended that it become a law way back in 1970, but I guess we can still wait on Washington to, cert to pass certain types of laws. I think one thing we can all agree on is that every day we get one day older. And as we get older, I guess the questions become, is it still safe to dive as we age? 
And uh, just what is that safe age to dive? And then uh, what, what age should you stop diving? Well, it's a hard question to, uh, to actually answer. There is a chapter in the, the Complete Diver, the book by Dr. Alex Brilsky. Um, the chapter is titled, As Young As You Feel, Diving and the Effects of Aging. Kind of find it funny that the chapter comes right after the chapter that's titled uh, "The Next Generation: um, What You Need to Know About Your Kids in Diving." So, um, Dr. Brilsky talks a little bit about uh, uh, aging and the fact that we talk about chronological age versus physiological age, and, and there is a difference. Um, there's a lot of information that he puts in into this chapter. Uh, it's jam-packed. It talks about what's happening at the cellular level as we age, um, how fitness uh, affects our performance, um, the difference is how diseases might impact us, and then injuries. I think the big one that, that's out there is the idea around heart disease and the fact that 10% of dive fatalities are... Um, are attributed to to heart disease. Now, uh, the 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 chapter references a study that was conducted by by the Duke University Medical Center um, and was published in the Journal of Applied Physiology in February of two thousand and three. And that uh, I I looked that that article up in in their journal archives, and the, the article is actually entitled "Effects of Age." and exercise on physiological dead space during simulated dives at 2.8 atmospheres absolute. So essentially what they did is they took people into the hyperbaric chamber and simulated dives uh, up to 60 feet, and they had a control group of younger divers and, and, and then older divers. And what they found is that the, the CO2 uh, that was built up was not any significantly different um, uh, in the younger divers versus the older divers. So age didn't seem to have uh, an impact there. Um, then there's also talks about our, our older divers more uh, suspect to uh, DCS. And, and the thoughts behind that are that uh, older divers produce more uh, 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 Bubbles uh, that can can form in in your tissue um, that will actually impact your uh, your susceptibility to getting DCS, and it really turns out to be uh, uh, just the age. Uh, as we age, our bodies have gone through a lot. There's scar tissue, there's injuries, and it takes a long time for an older body to uh, to recover based on the uh, the cell production and things like that. So a really interesting uh, chapter in Dr. Brilsky's book on uh, aging uh, and, and how it affects diving. Then there was also an article in uh, the, uh, one of the Alert Diver magazines from uh, the summer of 2018 last year called Scuba Diving and Life Expectancy. And it talked a little bit about, well, does uh, scuba diving help you extend your life? And, and it was kind of an interesting little uh, discussion there that, that uh, uh, p 
Peter Buzzacott had with a couple of uh, different uh, uh, PhDs on on the effects of, of diving and how it impacts us uh, as we grow older. And it referenced uh, an idea around having two identical twins, maybe having one be a diver and one not be a diver and see what the effects are as they aged. And hypothetical, but they thought, uh, wow, that would be interesting to see if, uh, if diving actually makes us live longer. Let's hope so. Keep diving. It's time for another installment of Sea Hunt. It's still alive. And in this installment, I'm going to take you back to February 1st, 1958, or the fourth episode ever aired of Sea Hunt. And it was titled Mark of the Octopus. Now, Mark of the Octopus was actually the first show ever recorded of Sea Hunt, and it was used as a pilot to try and sell the show to the various networks or syndicates. Not quite sure why it became the fourth episode ever aired. But in this episode, we're introduced to uh, Mike Nelson. And wow, did they try to pack everything into this first few minutes of Sea Hunt. It shows Mike uh, on his boat, the Argonaut, and it shows his underwater TV camera that can find things uh, 50 feet in any direction underwater. It shows him working with uh, Marine Land of the Pacific, diving with his Jack Brown dive mask and uh, out there trying to feed fish, uh, feed moray eels, trying to capture an eagle ray, talks about how they were able to capture a porpoise while they were out there and how they brought it back to marine land of the Pacific and then uh, released it into the tanks and showed how he liked to watch the uh, porpoises playing basketball. But the storyline centers around uh, two missing divers, and these divers were out doing exploration for an oil company, and um, they were discovered missing because the Coast Guard found their boat, the Geronimo, dragging its anchor, and there was no one on board. But they found out that it worked for this mining company. Well, they called the mining company execs who flew in uh, and decided to hire Mike Nelson to try and find their divers. As they're preparing for this search and rescue, they get a call that one of the divers has shown up on the beach, dead. Well, when they hustle down to the beach, they find that the diver apparently was killed by an octopus because they find the mark of the octopus on the diver's leg. That's the title of the show, Mark of the Octopus. Well, Mike is skeptical about that, and uh, he says octopus are not going to attack divers. He's never seen one happen and confers with Marine Land of the Pacific, who kind of uh, figures that that's not really the, the case either. But the scene switches to the uh, one of the divers that's missing. Well, he's not. He's actually bad diver number one, and he apparently is behind the demise of the diver that was found on the beach. He's talking to uh, his cohort about uh, swimming out to a boat that night, and the boat's two miles offshore, but he doesn't have his snorkel. He had to leave it behind. So now he's got to steal a snorkel. So he tries to steal it from a couple of uh, other divers, but he gets caught. 
and he struggles with the other diver and uh, he actually kills the second diver and puts the mark of the octopus on that diver as well. But at the scene of this accident, Mike finds some blue kelp and figures the blue kelp can only be uh, found in a, in a certain area and convinces the one of the other oil company uh, personnel to come with him out to that site. Well, it turns out the guy that he brought is bad diver number two. And they're trying to find the blue kelp, and he goes in the water, and uh, the bad diver one, bad diver two are both in the water trying to hunt down Mike. They both have spear guns. Well, uh, Mike confuses them, as he always does, and uh, bad diver two shoots bad diver one with the spear gun, and so he's gone, and now Mike is worried about the uh, second diver, and he fires off a magnesium flare, which, uh, which blinds the diver so Mike can wrestle him to the surface, cut his air hose, and bring him up. Well, now, mystery solved, uh, two bad divers, one dead and one captured. Oil company exec is really happy about it, so he wants to give Mike a job, but Mike says, I want to be free to do what he wants to, uh, kind of teeing up all the future episodes of Sea Hunt. Mark of the Octopus was directed by Andrew Martin, and it had both Perry Bivens and Courtney Brown on the technical underwater diving sequences, and it also credited a woman, Zale Bivens, in the credits. And Zale Bivens, who was actually married to Perry Bivens, became Zale Perry in future episodes of Sea Hunt. So stay tuned in the future for more uh, installments of Sea Hunt. It's still alive. Well, that wraps up episode 14 of Scoob Shack Radio. Hope you'd enjoyed this show. Again, coming to you a week earlier this time so that I could get the schedule wrapped up for the rest of the year. As always, I want to thank everybody who's been continuing to listen to the show. If you get an opportunity to like us on your favorite podcast or give us a rating on your podcast app, it would be greatly appreciated. So until the next time, thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Talk to you next time.